Section 30 of The Three Commanders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Three Commanders by William Henry Giles Kingston. Chapter 22, Part 1. Antecedent to the events mentioned in the last chapter, one of considerable importance to Terence Adair occurred. He had to forego a court-martial for the loss of the flash. She had been run on shore. Of that there was no doubt. But when there he had fought her with the greatest gallantry, and had done his utmost to get her off. The result of the investigation was that, having been admonished for the loss of his ship, his sword was returned to him. "'Really, my dear Adair, I don't think you need break your heart about the matter,' said Jack to him when he returned on board the tornado, which he had joined as a volunteer. Tom and Desmond were already on board her. "'Depend upon it, it won't stand in the way of your getting another ship or promotion. I hear that the Admiral highly approves of your conduct, and that he has stated he will give you solid proof of his opinion as soon as a vacancy occurs.' These remarks raised poor Terence's spirits, and he wrote a very hopeful letter to Admiral Triton, which he hoped might be shown to Lucy rather than the one he had penned some time previously. Still some weeks went by, and Adair remained without a ship. He at length got a cheery reply from his old friend in answer to his letter, urging him to keep up his courage, and prophesying that all would turn out well at last. There is a young lady by my side who fully agrees with me, and who is as ready as I am to admire the gallant way in which you fought your ship, and to appreciate your merits, whether the Admiralty do so or not. I'm the last man to advise a promising young officer to leave the service, but should you be compelled to come on shore and turn your sword into a reaping-hook, I have made such arrangements as will enable you to do so without having to depend solely upon your pittance of half-pay, wrote the Admiral. "'What can the kind old man mean?' asked Terence, when he showed the letter to Jack. Jack smiled. Perhaps he had heard something about the matter. "'It is evident that he has your interest at heart,' he answered, "'and intends to give you substantial proof of his regard. "'However, my opinion is that you will not be laid on the shelf, "'and that if you remain out here, the Admiral will give you the first vacancy that occurs.' Jack was right. A few days afterwards, on the return of the tornado to the fleet, the admiral sent for Adair, and complimenting him on the gallant way in which he had fought the flash, informed him that he was appointed to the gleam, the commander of which had just been invalided home. Adair's heart bounded as if a load had been taken off it. Without loss of time he went on board his new command. His natural wish was now to do something by which he might gain credit. "'Let me advise you, my dear fellow,' said Murray, who paid him a visit on board not to trouble yourself about that but just go straight forward and do your duty and you'll gain all the credit you can desire in doing that terence followed his friend's advice and was warmly complimented by the admiral for his zeal and activity in carrying out the orders he had received although he had done nothing to fill a page in history the tornado was lying in the golden horn having made her last trip to the crimea when a kai came up alongside an old gentleman in somewhat quaint costume seated in the stern. Green, who happened to be near the gangway, on looking down recognized his old German friend, Herr Groben. "'Glad to see you,' he exclaimed, as he ran down to help him up the accommodation ladder. "'Ah, my friend Green, 
I'm delighted to see you, answered Herr Groben, shaking his hand warmly with both of his. I come on a very delicate and important matter, and you can help me greatly. Very glad to help you do anything you wish, answered Green, provided it doesn't amount to treason or petty larceny. Ah, no, my friend, this is no treason, answered the old tutor, looking over his shoulder as if he expected to see a Russian spy there. It relates entirely to another sort of affair. You know that Mr. Higson, the first lieutenant of this ship, fell in love with the eldest sister of my pupils. And to confess to you the truth, the young lady fell in love with him, and she has been expecting, now that the dreadful war is over, that he would go back and claim her hand. So I suppose he intends doing, when the ship is paid off, but till then he is not his own master, and he could not get away however much he might wish it, answered Green. Ah, uh, Mademoiselle Ivanovna does not understand that sort of thing, and began so to pine and fret that she became very ill indeed, and seeing her state, I volunteered to come to Constantinople, where I heard your ship was likely to be found, to bear a message to Lieutenant Higson, and I have been greatly anxious till I got on board lest the ship should have sailed away. Where is your first lieutenant, that I may deliver myself forth of my message? For a wonder he has gone on shore, answered Green, but he will be off again soon, and in the meantime we will take good care of you, so come down at once into the gun-room, and we shall have luncheon on the table immediately. Herr Groben was warmly received by the officers when they heard who he was, and soon had out of him the whole history of the loves of Lieutenant Higson in the fair Ivanowna. Lieutenant Mildway expressed his intention of writing it in verse. The doctor proposed their healths during luncheon, in conjunction with that of the Queen of England and the Emperor of Russia, now the best friends in the world. After luncheon, as Higson did not appear, Herr Groben expressed a wish to go round the ship, and Green at once offered to conduct him. As he was going round the lower deck, he popped his head into the midshipman's berth, when whom should he see seated directly before him but Tom Rogers. The recognition was mutual. Tom started up. Oh, Herr Groben, I am delighted to see you, he exclaimed. Do tell me, how is Miss Theodorovna? Have you just come from there? Not very long ago, answered Herr Groben, and I can tell you that they have not forgotten you and she told me if I saw you to give her very kind remembrances. "'Is that all?' asked Tom. "'Of course,' exclaimed Patty Desmond, who was seated in the berth. "'What more could you expect from a young lady?' "'Then doesn't she care about me?' cried Tom, forgetting that several of his messmates were within hearing, and that they were not likely to forget his question. "'As to that I must be discreet,' answered the old tutor, laughing. "'If you ever come back to Russia in peaceable guise,' not in one of your ships, with big guns to batter down our forts, you may depend upon it. Colonel Paskowitz and his family will be very happy to see you. The conversation was cut short by Green, who had gone away, returning to conduct Herr Groven into the gun-room. Soon after he was seated there, Higson returned on board, little expecting whom he was to find. Though he had never been known to exhibit the slightest signs of nervousness, he looked excessively agitated on seeing the old tutor, who, after telling him that he had lately come from the family of Colonel Paskowitz, requested a private interview. The old German had evidently something of importance to communicate beyond what he had told Green. Higson's agitation, as he proceeded, increased. He, however, at length came to a decision, 
and Herr Groben returned on shore, saying that he should expect to see him the next day. When Jack, who had gone on board the Gleam to see Adair, just on the point of sailing for England, returned to his own ship, Higson begged to have a few minutes' talk with him. Jack, of course, granted it, and, begging him to come into his cabin, sat down to listen to what he had to say. "'We have been shipmates a good many years, Commander Rogers, and I am going to ask a favor of you,' he began. "'You know how I fell in love with a young lady in Russia, and she has fallen desperately ill in love with me, it seems. I don't say it as a boast, and cannot account for it, and what is more, her mother sends me word that she is dying for fear I should go away and forget her, or at all events not come back again. Now I have no thoughts of doing anything of the sort, though the young lady may believe what I will write her. I would rather give her practical evidence of my affection by paying her a visit at once. I could be there and back in a week or ten days, and if you could manage to give me leave for that period, I would run over and see them, and I trust that neither the service nor the ship will suffer from my absence. Jack reflected on the request made to him, and considering that Hickson merited all the favor he could grant at his hands, and that the duty of the ship could be carried on in the meantime, gave him the leave he asked. Hickson expressed himself very thankful, and set about making arrangements for his intended journey. Scarcely had Higson left the cabin when Tom entered and begged to have a few minutes' conversation with his brother. "'What is it?' asked Jack. Tom went into the whole story of the kind treatment he had received from the family of Colonel Pascovich, and you must know, he continued, that I fell in love with Miss Fedorovna, and promised to go back and marry her as soon as the war was over. "'Really, Tom, I hope with a proviso that you should obtain the permission of Sir John,' remarked Jack. "'I don't know about provisionally,' answered Tom. "'I promised to go back and marry her as soon as peace was settled. "'And as you wouldn't wish me to break my promise, "'I hope you will give me permission to do so at once.' "'Jack burst into a loud fit of laughter. "'I'll tell you what, Tom, "'I'm much more likely to marry you to the gunner's daughter,' he answered. "'That is very cruel treatment,' exclaimed Tom. "'You'll drive me to quit the service "'and expatriate myself forever.' Jack only laughed louder. "'Do you mean to say that you are going to deprive the country of your valuable services, bid farewell to your father and mother and sisters, or perhaps take service in the Russian navy, should they ever launch any fresh ships, and turn your sword against your countrymen, simply because I refused to let you go and make a fool of yourself by marrying this little Russian girl? Though my belief is, even should I let you, as soon as her father finds out that you haven't a sixpence to bless yourself with, he'll send you about your business with a flea in your ear. Come, Tom, think the matter over. You used to have some brains in your head, and I hope you have not left them all behind you in the Sea of Azov. Still, Tom was obstinate. He really had a midshipman-like amount of attachment for Feodorovna, but though as very disinterested and sincere and romantic, it was not the less foolish. Nothing Jack could say would induce him to promise to give up all thoughts of her, and to write a kind note pointing out the impossibility of their marrying, and bidding her farewell. She mayn't see the impossibility of it, answered Tom. Her father is the owner of thousands of acres and country houses and serfs, and she told me that all he wanted was to get gentlemanly, intelligent sons-in-law, who could live in his houses and superintend the cultivation of his estates. "'Well, well,' said Jack, "'that doesn't sound so badly, but still, 
you have no right at your age to go and marry without our father's and mother's sanction and until you have got it i'll be no party to your giving up the service and settling down for life in an out-of-the-way corner of russia with regard to hickson the case is very different he is twice your age has very little prospect of promotion and no friends that i know of to give up besides which i'm pretty certain that nothing would induce him to take service in the russian navy with the chance of being employed against england i don't see that our cases are so very different answered tom and you may put me in irons and do what you like but i'll not promise to give up feodorovna nor write the cruel letter you propose to bid her farewell there you've got my answer and i've in no way infringed the articles of war by saying that though you are my commander i'm not quite certain that you have not by the tone in which you speak answered jack however i'm very sorry for it tom and warn you that as you are obstinate i must take measures accordingly what those measures were jack did not tell his brother having dismissed him he sent for dick needham and desired him to keep a watchful eye on the youngster lest he might take french leave and quit the ship aye aye sir answered dick though they're not a bad sort of people in the main i shouldn't like mr tom to turn into a russian it won't be my fault if he gets legbail satisfied on this point jack ordering his gig pulled on board the glean which ship was to sail the next day for england the g i o r had gone home some time before and murray hoped to pay her off and to be allowed to remain on shore with his beloved stella jack explained his anxieties about tom to adair who at once agreed to take him home and not to lose sight of him till he had handed him over either to admiral triton or sir john and lady rogers take him in the first instance to the admiral said jack he will consider his opinion as less biased than that of our father and mother and be more likely to yield submission to it on his return to the tornado jack ordered tom's marine to pack up his chest and have it lowered into his gig alongside he then summoned tom and allowing him to wish his messmates good-bye told him to follow his chest tom looked as he felt very unhappy dicky duff and billy blueblazes especially thought him a hardly used individual though his older messmates were more inclined to laugh than to sympathize with him adair received him on board in a very kind way and desmond acted the part of a true friend by listening to all he had to say though he avoided giving him any encouragement and when tom declared his intention of making his escape in the first kai which came alongside he warned him that he could not possibly secede next morning the gleam steamed away down the bosphorus tom had not been many hours at sea before he recovered his spirits and was able to admire the beautiful scenery amid which the ship was steering her course having now settled this matter to his satisfaction jack turned his attention to the affair of his first lieutenant higson's interview with the old tutor had confirmed him in his resolution to abandon the service and marry ivanowna and jack though sorry to lose him promised to do his best to forward his views jack gave him leave of absence and hickson was engaged in packing up to accompany herr groben in a steamer which was to start the next day for the crimea when the commander of the tornado was sent for on board the flagship greatly to his satisfaction jack found that he had to return to balaclava on an affair relating to the evacuation of the place and afterwards to visit other places to the eastward 
which had been captured by the allied squadrons and restored to the russians this is a most fortunate circumstance for you hickson he said when he returned on board you will have an opportunity of visiting your friends and if you take my advice you will go home in the ship and as i hope obtain your promotion hickson thanking jack promised to be guided by circumstances the tornado had got her steam up when the mail from england was signalled and jack waited for its arrival he received several letters one from his sister mary replete as was usually the case in her letters with scraps of news the most important as far as he himself was concerned was that julia giffard was somewhat out of health and that her father had taken her to malta where they intended to pass the winter sir john and lady rogers were as adverse as ever to lucy's marriage with adair not from any objection to him except on account of his want of means and they were annoyed at the encouragement admiral triton and miss deborah appeared to have afforded the young people the admiral had actually written to sir john on the subject but neither he nor lady rogers could understand his meaning except that he thought him unwise in objecting to a fine promising young officer who was certain if he remained in the service to become an admiral some day poor lucy is sadly perplexed about it said mary she has given her heart to adair and is certainly not a person likely to bestow it on any one else so that her fate will be a hard one if she is not allowed to marry sydney had returned home very much improved by his crimean campaign having dropped all his guardsmen's airs and become mary observed very like jack himself jack would have been more deeply concerned about julia had he not received a letter from her assuring him that the voyage had done her a great deal of good and that she was looking forward to the happiness of seeing him shortly on his arrival at malta murray had reached england but much to his disappointment the gaior had not been paid off and he had been directed to hold himself in readiness to sail immediately he spoke of the admiral as very much broken while mrs deborah was also ailing he could not sufficiently express his gratitude for the kindness with which the old people had treated stella and his two children she was still residing with them at south sea they insisted on their remaining there till his return to which he had consented as he hoped not to be long absent from home i shall then he said not seek for employment and as i have some hopes of my promotion i may become an admiral some day i had expected to have been back at balderkind to have been able to receive you and mrs jack rogers on your wedding tour perhaps even now i may be home in time and at all events my dear jack i look forward to the pleasure of seeing you and terence adair there as one of the greatest in this sublunary world jack had read his letters when hickson entered the cabin with an official-looking dispatch in his hand congratulate me he exclaimed i received what i little expected my promotion and as there is small chance of my being employed i think you will agree that i should be wise in taking advantage of the good fortune offered me i congratulate you heartily said jack and i won't say a word to dissuade you hickson after considerable trouble succeeded in obtaining a commander's full-dress uniform with which he expressed himself highly delighted he had just time to get on board when the tornado steamed away for balaclava with the worthy tutor to whom jack had offered a passage on board the duties with which he had been charged at balaclava having been performed jack continued his course to the eastward and the tornado soon arrived off the fort which he had 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 so gallant a contest 
giles green having undertaken to carry the tornado up the river as far as the depth of water would allow she entered its mouth keeping the lead going and proceeded on at half speed till she came off colonel pasquich's house her approach had been perceived gay flags that of england being the highest were hoisted on the flagstaff near the house and numerous persons were seen collected at the landing-place jack agreed to accompany hickson who of course had put on his commander's uniform on shore the two other boats followed with most of the officers all in full dress the colonel was the first person to greet them he welcomed them cordially and invited the whole party up to the house where the ladies sat ready to receive them the eyes of the fair ivanowna beamed with pleasure as they rested on the gallant commander though she cast them down modestly as he approached to take her hand which he lifted gallantly to his lips the eyes of poor little Theodorowna wandered in vain among the group of officers in the background in search of tom and her countenance fell on discovering that he was not among them unable to restrain her anxiety she asked herr groven who was compelled to inform her of the truth on hearing which she burst into tears how very very cruel to send him away she exclaimed i don't see why my sister's lover should have been allowed to come and mine been sent off to england herr groven tried to explain that the one was a commander and the other only a midshipman and that while one might be allowed to act as he thought fit the other was still under the direction of his parents nothing however would comfort her it had however the effect of making her look very interesting and just at that moment any one of the officers would have been perfectly ready to take tom's place especially dicky duff and billy blueblazes indeed they both determined to make her an offer in the course of the evening and to toss up which should first do so perhaps the attention she received somewhat consoled her for she soon dried her tears and to all appearance became perfectly happy after a magnificent banquet when the table literally groaned with viands of all descriptions a dance was got up several young ladies arriving from various houses in the neighbourhood while for a couple of hours after it had begun others to whom notice of the coming of the english ship had been sent arrived from greater distances as a natural consequence all the unmarried and unengaged officers lost their hearts to russian young ladies and it was said that Feodorowna received certainly two if not three offers before the evening was over jack when he found the state of affairs began to consider whether he had not made a mistake in coming to the place End of section thirty